0: This would probably be a good time to hold this up and say this. I believe what I hold in my hand is the only physical source of absolute truth on this earth. And I want you to understand that today we believe this is God's Word, from Genesis to Revelation. And in it are the mysteries of life, death, the Word of God, the covenants of God are all inside the Holy Scripture. So today, we begin a three-part series searching the mysteries of the Scripture regarding the Ark of the Covenant. I started this study some time ago just personally, and I thought it might just be one session and that led to two and that led to three. So I'm encouraging you to be a part of all three of these sessions as we search out the Word of God for the mysteries, the revelation of the mysteries of the ark of the covenant. So let's begin with the word, the ark. The ark of God, the word ark is found for the first time in the Bible, referring to a large boat, and a covenant promise of salvation from God. I don't know if you've ever thought about it like this, but in the story of Noah, there are two things, two events. There is the ark, referring to a boat, and there is a covenant, referring to God's revelation of something that's coming, and how you, Noah, might prepare yourself for the event that is going to soon arrive. The ark and the covenant. So, let's go to Genesis six, seventeen, the first time you'll find the word ark in the Bible. Behold, I— Even I, this is God speaking, I am bringing the flood of water upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which the breath of life from under heaven, everything that is on the earth shall perish. Did you get it? God is announcing everything on the earth is going to perish. But I will establish my covenant. We've got the ark. We've got, I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall enter the ark, the ark and a covenant, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. Now, let me start today with something important. You believe this story, right? You believe there was a literal worldwide flood, right? Right? And the reason I say that is many churches have abandoned the Bible. And I want to make sure you understand when you come here that we have not, we're not one of those churches. That we have not abandoned the word of God. Not here, not not here. I hold it up to start today announcing that we believe here that the Bible is the literal word of God, the, the revelation of truth to all of mankind. There's no idolatry. Not here. Not apostasy. Not here. Not abandonment. Not here. The ark of God and the covenant of salvation. This series begins with an ark of God and a covenant of salvation. God's plan to save mankind from the coming judgment. Judgment was coming. God had already determined in his mind that judgment was going to fall upon the inhabitants of planet earth. So, He made a way of escape. And you need to understand that the way of escape was an ark and a covenant. One of the mysteries from God's Word. God warned us through the Apostle Peter some 4,000 years after the flood that many in the last days would deny the flood. That many in the last days would not just deny the flood, but they would deny the literal six-day creation of the earth. And we're living in those last days where even churches no longer believe in the literal flood of Noah. No longer believe in a six-day creation event of God by speaking everything into existence. And there'll be people sitting in this room, maybe watching online right now, and you say, well, I don't really understand why that's such a big deal. Listen carefully. If you could be convinced that there was no worldwide flood, what you're really being convinced is that God never really judged the people of the earth. And if you can convince yourself that he never did it then, you could maybe convince yourself that it's not going to ever happen in the future. Both would be incorrect and deadly. In Second Peter, now I'm, I want you to understand, I've gone from the beginning, Noah's flood, the ark and a covenant, now to Second Peter, the church age. The age in which we live in, after the death and burial of Jesus Christ, death, burial, and resurrection. Peter makes a warning to the last days church, the last days people. What's the warning? Verse 2, I want you to remember what the holy prophets said long ago, and what our Lord and Savior Jesus commanded through the prophets. I want you to remember so you don't forget what? Most importantly, I want to remind you that in the last days, and you're in the last days, in the last days, scoffers are going to come, and they're going to mock this. They're going to mock the truth. And they're going to follow, instead of this, they're going to follow their own evil desires. The desires of the human heart will take precedent over the truth of God's Word. They will say, Peter even announced what they're going to say, these scoffers in the last day. They will say two specific things. What happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again? It's been 2,000 years. All you Christians waiting for him. He's not here is scoffers or mockers. And then they say from the be- from before the times of our ancestors, everything has remained the same since the world was first created. They've uh, you you Christians have always said you're waiting for Jesus. Every generation has said you're waiting for Jesus. He's not here. It's always just been the same. But they deliberately forget two things that God made the heavens by the word of his command. There's the six-day creation. They, They deliberately forget that God made the heavens by the word of his command, and he brought the earth out from the water and surrounded it with water. And then, here comes the flood. There's creation, and here comes the flood. Then he used the water to destroy the ancient world with a mighty flood. And by the same word, the present heavens... This is the warning. By the same word that created the heavens and the earth in creation, by the same word that brought the flood to the time of Noah, by the same word the present heavens where you live now. The same heavens and the same earth have been stored up for fire. They are being kept for the day of judgment when ungodly people will be destroyed. And can I insert Just like in the days of Noah. Jesus Himself tells us that the judgment of the last days and His return will be like it was in the days of Noah. In Matthew 24, verse 36, Jesus, our Lord, our Savior, the one we come to worship today, He says this However, no one knows the day, no one knows the hour. When these things will happen, not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself, only the Father knows. When the Son returns, however, when the Son returns, it will be like it was in Noah's day. In those days before the flood, notice Jesus specifically refers to Noah and the flood. It'll be like it was in the days of Noah. In those days before the flood, people were enjoying banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time Noah entered the ark, entered the boat. People didn't realize what was going to happen. Can I say it really loud? People didn't realize what was going to happen. They had convinced themselves it couldn't, wouldn't, God wouldn't do such a thing. They didn't realize what was going to happen until the flood came and swept them all away. That is the way it will be when the Son of Man comes. So, let me ask you again. You believe this story, right? You believe in a literal worldwide flood, right? Peter and Jesus both refer to the flood, or you could just watch the Discovery Channel and wait and see what happens. Many today say they believe in Jesus. I have conversations all the time with people who say they believe in Jesus. Yeah, I believe in the literal Jesus, but they reject the truth about creation. They reject the truth about the flood. And you might say, I don't know why that matters. (laughs) Because what you're putting your faith in is a Jesus that you created. A Jesus that you've created to be comfortable to exist with. One that you could determine what He says from your own heart, rather than listening clearly to what He says. You know what He says? People didn't realize what was going to happen until the flood came and swept them all away. And that's the way it's going to be when He comes back to the earth. Understand this truth today. Jesus and Peter quoted the flood. They quoted the flood as a real worldwide event. And I want you to understand, that real worldwide event was simply God's judgment upon the people of the earth. Many churches have abandoned the Bible. And I want you to understand, as we start this three-part series, there's a key word in the Bible. We know the Bible to be divided in the Old Testament and the New Testament. But what you might not know is the word testament also means covenant. So, we have the Old Covenant, and we have the New Covenant. It is a division. Jesus is the New Covenant. The Old Covenant is from Adam all the way up to the time of Christ. The Old Covenant and the New Covenant. Many have abandoned it. Now, I want you to make sure that you understand that that's not the case here. The Ark of God and the Ark of the Covenant— God met Noah and announced the ark, and gave Noah and his family a covenant promise. God gave Noah his word. When God comes to Noah, he gives him his word. You need to understand that his word is a covenant. His word is a covenant. His word is a covenant. So when God comes to Noah and tells him about his plan to bring judgment upon the earth, he's giving him an ark and a covenant. A way of escape from the coming judgment. And God kept His covenant promise to Noah, and they were all saved. Eight of them. God's part in this event was the ark of the covenant. The promise. And what was Noah's part? This is so important. God's part is He knew in advance His plan. He revealed His plan to Noah who revealed it to people on the earth. God's part, he made a way of escaping judgment. The ark and the covenant. What's Noah's part? Faith. Faith. You need to understand, all throughout the Scripture, this doesn't change. Noah's part was called faith. Noah believed God. Simply, Noah believed it's going to rain. You understand, it had never rained before. So when God comes to Noah and tells him it's going to rain, it's an unusual event. It's an unbelievable event, because do you realize the Bible clearly states that before the time of Noah, it had never rained from the heavens. God had watered the earth from underneath. It had not rained from the sky. So to tell Noah that rain's going to come out of the sky was unbelievable, and not just that it would come out of the sky, that it would flood the entire earth. So, let's jump to the New Testament, not the Old Testament story of Noah, but it's how the New Testament talks about Noah. Hebrews 11 verse 7. What are we looking for? What's the mystery? God's part was the Ark of the Covenant. Noah's part? Faith. Same as your part. It was by faith. It was by faith that Noah built a large boat. Here comes the Ark. It was by faith that Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. He obeyed God, who warned him about things that had never happened before. Rain never happened before. Flooding at this level never happened before. He warned Noah about things that never happened before. before. By his faith, Noah condemned the rest of the world. And he received in that moment by believing it's gonna rain. He believed, he, he received the righteousness that comes by faith. The ark and the covenant, the boat and the promise soon became the ark of the covenant. Now you need to get this transition. There was an ark and a covenant, the boat and the promise of God, the boat will save you. Soon transition to the Ark of the Covenant. Some 500 years after the time of Noah, we find a man named Moses, and the Ark of the Covenant. Moses didn't call God any more than Noah called God. God's mercy called to both men. God was going to reveal His way to Moses to redeem mankind from a coming judgment. That's what happened to Noah. God was going to tell Noah how he could be redeemed from the coming judgment. And God's going to do the same thing to Moses. He's going to show him how to be redeemed from the coming judgment. But it's not a flood. But the judgment of sin and death would be revealed to Moses the judgment of sin and death which equals eventually eternal separation from god how do we fix that judgment god was going to once again meet with a man about an ark his name is moses the ark of the covenant exodus 25:22 it's kind of the foundation scripture today God is speaking to Moses, and I I get cold chills when I read this verse, when I understand what's about to happen. God says, I will meet with you there. The creator of the universe has said what? Moses, I will meet with you there and talk to you from above the atonement cover between the gold cherubim that hover over the Ark of the Covenant. And from there, I will give you my commands for the people of Israel. The Ark of the Covenant. If you read the New American Standard Bible, it translates it the Ark of the Testimony. Whose covenant? Whose testimony? God's. Understand that from this Ark of the Covenant, God said, from there, I will give you my commands. This time the ark would not be a boat that would save people from the flood. No. This time the ark would do something that hadn't happened since the time of Adam and Eve, way before the time of Noah. This time the ark of the covenant would be the place where God would once again come and live among his people. This time, something would happen that would change the planet earth. This time, God is making a way for His presence to leave heaven and come to the earth and live among His people. God's presence on the earth. This is where the covenant comes in. The Ark of the Covenant would describe the terms and conditions that would allow the absolute holiness of God to descend among the people of Israel and they not die because He has arrived. Moses would have to do it God's way. Everyone would have to do it God's way. God has announced his plan, his desire, that I want to come and live among you. I lived with Adam and Eve in the garden, and sin has separated us. And now I want to come and live among the people. It is my desire to live among you. But you must do it my way. The ark is God's way. Everyone would have to do it God's way. The ark of the covenant, if you want to experience God and not die because you have experienced God. You'll have to do it His way. His way, listen carefully, was described to Moses as the Ark of the Covenant, Exodus 25.10. Have the people make an ark of acacia wood, a sacred chest 45 inches long, 27 inches wide, 27 inches high. Overlay it inside and outside with pure gold. And run a molding of gold all around it. Cast four rings and attach them to its four feet. Two rings on each side. Make poles from acacia wood and overlay them with gold. Insert the poles into the rings at the side of the ark to carry it. These carrying poles must stay inside the rings. Never remove them. Do you think details matter when God says he's going to come into your camp? Never remove them. And when the ark is finished, place inside it the stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant which I will give you." Now, two points before we continue. First the gold rings and the gold poles. The only way to transport this ark is by poles inside the rings. They must never be removed. Details to God matter. The ark is God's way. And you must do it God's way. Inside the ark were the terms of the covenant. Secondly, God told Moses to put the stone tablets inside the ark of the covenant. Thus the name, the ark of the covenant. The covenant of God, the covenant of God, the promise of God. The way to be able to experience God's presence without dying would be placed inside this box. The ark and the covenant. They're both. The ark is the box. The covenant is the inside. And the deal is, he says, from this, I will meet with you. From this, I will talk to you and reveal my plans for you. Do you know what the... So inside are the stone tablets. The stone tablets which had the Ten Commandments. So... Let's see what's on what's inside the box. What's inside the box? Exodus 20 verse 11, verse 1, excuse me. Then God gave the people these instructions. I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. You must not have any other gods but me. You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them, for I the Lord your God am a jealous God, who will not tolerate, who will not tolerate your affection for other gods. I lay the sin of the parents upon their children. Anybody listening? I lay the sin of the parents upon their children. The entire family is affected. Even children in the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. But I lavish unfailing love. Somebody say hallelujah. But I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commands. You must not misuse the name of the Lord your God. The Lord will not let you go unpunished. He will not let you go unpunished if you misuse His name. Remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath day of rest, dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, your livestock, or any foreigners living among you. For in six days, here comes creation revealed again. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens, the earth, and the sea, and everything in them. But on the seventh day, He rested. This is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. So inside the ark is a covenant. The covenant is the Ten Commandments. The first four of the Ten Commandments, guess what? The first four of the Ten Commandments deal specifically how humans on the earth will be able to have a relationship with God. The first four. Number one and number two, I don't think it's an accident that their number one and number two is idolatry. The first four of the Ten Commandments are specific instructions how we are to deal with God. The next six are how we deal with each other. But the first four are how we deal with Him. And it begins with this. He's God and there are no others. No idolatry. And this is a generational thing. This is a generational generational blessing, or this is a generational curse. The third commandment. Do not misuse or dishonor my name. He will punish you if you do. It's in the Ten Commandments. He will punish you if you misuse or dishonor his name. And number four, this is where the church struggles today, a lot of, lot, of, lot of talk in the church about this one. What, what, what is the church in the, in the New Testament only follow nine of the Ten Commandments? It says, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Church-age Gentiles moved to Sunday because of the resurrection. Listen carefully what I'm about to say. When the church meets together on Sunday versus the Sabbath, which would be Saturday, we have not replaced the Sabbath day law of Moses. We have not. That was never the intention. Never. The Bible clearly states that the church, they were Jews and Gentiles in the book of Acts, in the Gospels, that the church met together on the first day of the week, Sunday. Why? Why did the church— All these generations of Jewish people held up the Ten Commandments, the Sabbath day, it's Saturday, and why does the church suddenly change to Sunday? Jesus rose from the dead on the first day of the week, and He changed everything. Did He cancel the law? We're not saying He canceled the law. Something changed. I'm going to show you what and why. So I go to Matthew 28. Let's make something clear. Something happened. It's not a shadow. It's the main event, Matthew 28, 1. Now after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene the other Mary came to look at the grave. You know what that is. This is the Easter story. It says specifically after the Sabbath. Sabbath is Saturday. It's close. It's the day that you're not supposed to work, and it's set aside under the Jewish law, under the Ten Commandments. But something now happened on the first day of the week. Go to Mark 16:9. Now after he had risen early on the first day of the week, he appeared to Mary Magdalene from whom he had cast out seven demons." Both Matthew and Mark clearly describe the resurrection as a Sunday event, the first day of the week event. All four—listen, church—all four Gospels describe Jesus' resurrection very specifically and very intentionally as a Sunday event, the first day of the week. The book of Acts describes the early church meeting when. The early church met when? On the first day of the week. Acts 20 verse 7, on the first day of the week, we gathered with the local believers to share the Lord's Supper. Paul was preaching to them, and since he was leaving the next day, he kept talking until midnight. And you all think you have it rough. (laughs) First Corinthians 16.1, now regarding your question about the money— being collected for God's people in Jerusalem. You should follow the same procedure I gave to the churches in Galatia on the first day of each week. Why is he being so specific? Why do they keep calling out this day in the church? He says, on the first day of the week, you should each put aside a portion of money you have earned. Don't wait until I get there, and then try to collect it all at once. It is very clear in the book of Acts that the church—something has happened. The church, which at that point included Jews and Gentiles, was meeting together on the first day of the week. The Apostle Paul then writes something very descriptive. He writes it to the church at Colossae, and he writes it to the church at Galatia. And both of them deal with the Sabbath issue, one of the Ten Commandments, Colossians, to start there, 2.16. So don't let anyone condemn you—he's writing to the church. Primarily the Gentile church. Why? Because Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles. Don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat. It's not about food, what you drink. It's not about what you drink. Or for not celebrating certain holy days, new moon ceremonies, or Sabbaths. You see, there was a criticism about the church not observing the Sabbath. During the time that Jesus walked on the earth, what did they fuss at Him the most about? About how He handled the Sabbath. He healed people on the Sabbath. They didn't like how He dealt with the Sabbath. For these rules, verse 17, are only shadows of the reality yet to come. What these days. And Christ Himself is the reality. One more, Galatians 4.8. Before you Gentiles knew God, You were slaves to so-called gods that do not even exist. So now that you know God, or should I say now that God knows you, why do you want to go back again and become slaves once more to the weak and useless spiritual principles of this world? You are trying to earn favor with God. How? What's his criticism to the church? You're trying to earn favor with God by observing certain days or months or seasons, or years. I fear for you, Paul said. Perhaps all my hard work with you was for nothing. Dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to live as I do in freedom from these things. Freedom from the law. For I have become like you Gentiles, free from those laws. You did not mistreat me when I first preached to you. Listen, let me summarize it. This is the best summary I can come up with. If you study the book of Acts, something becomes very clear. Were they meeting on Sunday? Yes. But they were meeting together and preaching in the temple courts every day. What happened that changed is the same thing that happened with Jerusalem. Listen carefully. When Jesus has his encounter with a Samaritan woman at the well, she looks at him and says, our forefathers says we had to worship on Mount Gerizim, and you Jews, you worship in Jerusalem. And Jesus looks at her and says, I tell you, the time is coming and is now coming when you won't have to go to Jerusalem anymore. For God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And Jesus is revealing something. When I Take my place as Messiah at the right hand of the Father. You won't need to go to Jerusalem anymore. Worship of Jesus will cover the earth, and it will cover every day. It won't be allotted to a single day called a Sabbath day. It'll be every day, every day. We won't won't have to go to Jerusalem, and there won't be about a certain day. Those are shadow events that will one day be fulfilled totally by Christ himself. Now, let me say this. This is important. Should we set aside a day to worship? Yes. Should we set aside a day to rest? Yes. Yes, you should. Maybe for you that's a different day than Saturday. Maybe, maybe Sunday is your day. We're not trying to replace the law. Jesus came not to cancel the law, but to fulfill the law. He's not the shadow. He's the event. His resurrection is the event, and his event was preached in the Jewish temple Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Let's just summarize that point. Now, back to my main point. The Ark of the Covenant described how a people could survive the presence of God's holiness and not die. The next six commandments— of the Ten Commandments describe how mankind can live with each other and we not kill each other. Do you understand that in the Ten Commandments, the first four is how we can live with God and not die. The next six are how we can live with each other and not kill each other. Number five, commandment says what? Honor your father and mother. Number six, do not murder. You see, they're they're all- Man to man, person to person, do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness against your neighbor. Do not covet your neighbor's stuff, his house, his wife, his donkey, his stuff. The Ark of the Covenant described how Moses and the people could experience the presence of God without being destroyed. The Ark of the Covenant described how the people of Israel could live together as a nation without destroying each other. Now, let's go back to the foundation verse for this session number one, Exodus twenty-five, twenty-two. God to Moses, I will meet with you there and i will talk to you from above the atonement cover between the two gold cherubim that hover over the ark of the covenant and from there i will give you my commands for the people of israel now all of that background is to ask this question so how did that work out for israel god made a way God made a way for the people to live in His presence without being destroyed by His holiness. God made a way for the people to live in a a nation loving each other and dwelling without destroying each other. He made a way. It's called the Ark of the Covenant. How did it work out? Remember, they received the Ark of the Covenant from God while they were in the wilderness. Before they ever got toward the promised land, they got this Ark of the Covenant. How did it work out? It didn't. It didn't. The ark and the covenant of Noah. Let's go back to Noah. It saved eight people from God's judgment. Noah and his sons built the boat, boarded the boat, and believed on the boat it was going to rain, and it rained. They built the boat, boarded the boat, and hung on to the ark until it quit raining. But what about Moses? Moses. What about the children of Israel living in the wilderness? What about their faith in the ark of the covenant? The ark, the boat, and the covenant to Noah saved eight people. Understand, the ark in the time of Noah was God's single way to survive judgment. The ark to Moses described the single way to describe your encounter with God. You got to do it his way. What about the Ark of the Covenant in the time of Moses? The Ark of the Covenant, listen, I covered this a couple of weeks ago. So some of you will be familiar. So how did it work out? They got the Ark of the Covenant. God gave them this and all of his instructions at Mount Sinai before they ever started traveling toward the Promised Land. So how many people got to the Promised Land? How did it work out? Nobody wants to talk about this. I've noticed that when I talk about this, people give me funny looks. Nobody wants to talk about it. The Ark of the Covenant in the time of Moses saved two people. Two adult men over the age of 20. Two. I can see why people don't want to talk about it. The Bible says in Numbers 26, 51, they did a census of the people as they get ready to move out toward the promised land. In summary, the registered troops of all Israel numbered, and these are men 20 years of age and up, of fighting age, 601,730. That's how many are moving. They've got the ark, right? they got the ark. They know. I know. I know what it's going to take to deal in the presence of God. I know what it's going to take to get to the promised land. He's got the ark of the covenant. I got it. I got his presence. I got his word. I got his presence. I got his word. Right. I got his presence. I got his word. How's it going to work out? Six hundred one thousand seven hundred twenty-eight didn't make it. Two did. Do you know why they call it the Promised Land? Do you know why they call it the Promised Land? Because God promised it was yours. Because God promised. It's the covenant. It's the covenant. It began with Abraham. It's renewed with Moses. The Ark of the Covenant was their promise. God was going to dwell with them. Listen, I'm going to kind of get a little head right now and then back back up. Listen, the Promised Land promise was this: On your way to the Promised Land, you'll be in a tent. And I'll encounter you in a tent behind the curtain, above this, above this. I will meet with you. I will live among the people in a tent. But when you get to the promised land, I'm going to give you Jerusalem. When we get to Jerusalem, you're going to build a building. And in the building, we're going to put this in the building, and I'm going to live in Jerusalem. My footstool, my throne will be in Jerusalem. All this is yours. It's all yours. But you got to believe me you got to believe me. You got to believe me. You got to do it His way. God had given these people a covenant promise along with His very presence above the Ark of the Covenant. Understand, listen, if you don't get anything else today, understand the Ark of the Covenant was His presence and His Word. His presence and His Word was with them. His presence and His Word. It's the covenant But you must do it his way. God told him that he would go ahead of them into the land. He would fight for them. All they had to do, all you got to do is believe me. Just believe me. It's called faith. Spiritually speaking, in the time of Noah, it was build the boat. Board the boat. Hang on to the boat until it stops raining. In the time of Moses, it's build build the ark. Cover it with pure gold and get on board with what's inside of it. Believe that I am who I say I am, Moses, Yahweh. And I will take you all the way to the promised land. You will have my presence and your word. You won't need anything else. The ark of the covenant, the promise of God, the presence of God. So how did it turn out? How did it turn out? Deuteronomy 1, verse 2, normally it takes only 11 days. Normally it takes only 11 days to travel from Mount Sinai to Kadesh Barnea, going by way of Mount Seir. But 40 years later, oh no, 40 years later, the Israelites left Egypt on the first day of the 11th month. Moses addressed the people of Israel, telling them everything the Lord had commanded him to say. An 11-day journey took 40 years. An 11-day journey to the promised land took 40 years. And I'm going to ask you, surely you're getting it by now. Why? Two men out of 601,730 of adult age made it. Why? Is God different today than He was then? Did we get a, a revised version? Why? Did 601,728 people not make it? They had the, the Ark of the Covenant. They had the Word and they had His presence. Why? Faith. It's called faith. God's part is the covenant promise. Our part is believe Him. It's called faith. Build the Ark. Cover it with pure gold. Get on board with what's in the ark. Get on board with His Word and hang on. Why? Because while you're in the wilderness, listen church, while you're in the wilderness, the time of testing of your faith will occur. And everyone today, you're in the wilderness. What happened to them that caused such great death? What went wrong? Moses had sent out 12 spies into the promised land to check things out before they crossed the Jordan. This is what went wrong, terribly wrong. And I'm going to ask you as I read it, can you see the Ark of the Covenant in this story? One year of wandering for every day they refused to believe in God's covenant. One, every day they refused to believe, every, every, every day that they refused to believe God's Word, he put a year of wandering next to it. I want to read the story. It's important. There's power in his word. Numbers thirteen twenty-five. After exploring the land for forty days, Moses has sent out twelve people, one man from each of the twelve tribes of Israel. The promise. They, they, listen, they've got the ark and got, they got. They've got his presence and they've got his word. They've got the ark of the covenant standing there at the at the river Jordan. It's yours. It's yours. It's the promised land. It's the covenant land. Right? After exploring the land for 40 days, the men returned. Moses and Aaron, the whole community of Israel at Kadesh in the wilderness of Paran. They reported to the whole community what they had seen and showed them the fruit they had taken from the land. This was their report to Moses. We entered the land you sent us to explore, and it is indeed a bountiful country. A land flowing with milk and honey. Here is the kind of fruit it produces. But the people living there are powerful. And their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants there. The descendants of Anak. The Amalekites live in the Negev. And the Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country. The Canaanites live along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea along the Jordan Valley. But Caleb, he's one of the two. Caleb tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. Let's go. I love Caleb. Let's go at once and take the land, he said. We can certainly conquer it. We've got the presence of God. We've got the covenant of God. We've got the ark. We can certainly do it. But the other man who had explored the land with him disagreed. We can't go up against them. They are stronger than we are. So they spread this bad report about the land among the Israelites. The land we traveled through and explored will devour. They'll Devour anyone who goes in to live there. And all the people, all the people we saw were huge. We even saw giants there. The descendants of Anak. Next to them we felt like grasshoppers and that's what they thought too. The vote, you know, I talked about it two weeks ago was... Ten, what I didn't tell you is this. I want you to understand what they voted for and against. They voted, ten people out of the twelve voted against the covenant of God. That's what it is. Don't, Don't try to whitewash it. They voted against the covenant of God. Because the covenant of God is the promised land. That's why they call it the promised land. Two people voted to accept Democracy is not always a good idea. Now understand something. Church, pay close attention. This is the same group of people that are getting manna out of heaven every morning. This is the same group of people that are getting water out of a rock in the wilderness. This is the same group of people that saw the plagues of Egypt with their own eyes. This is the same group of people that traveled through the wilderness with a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud. This is the same group of people that watched the Red Sea part and they walked across on dry ground. This is the same group of people that saw Moses on the mountain of God, encountering God and coming down with his face so bright they were scared of him. This is the same group of people that said these were Words when they saw His glorious presence at the mountain. These are the people that had agreed to the covenant. They had said, we're in. We're in the covenant. Yes, we will follow you. I want to read it to you. They're at the mountain before they ever start their journey. And the glory of God has come, verse 3, Exodus 24, Moses went down to the people and repeated all the instructions and regulations the Lord had given him. So, here's the covenant, right? The instructions, regulations. Here's the covenant. All the people answered with one voice, we will do everything the Lord has commanded. You know what they're doing? They're agreeing to the covenant of God. We will do everything the Lord has commanded. Then Moses carefully wrote down all the Lord's instructions. Why is he writing it down carefully? Because it matters! Early the next morning, Moses got up and built an altar at the foot of the mountain. He also set up 12 pillars, one for each of the 12 tribes of Israel. Then he sent some of the young Israelite men to present burnt offerings and to sacrifice bulls. As peace offerings to the Lord. Moses drained half the blood from these animals into basins. The other half he splattered against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant. The book of the covenant. And he read it aloud to the people. And again, and again. This will be the second time. And again, they all responded, we will do everything the Lord has commanded. We will obey! Liars. From God's perspective. Liars. Liars. We will obey. All the covenant has been presented. They've got the presence. They've got the covenant. But they didn't. Does it matter? Church, stop in the story. Does it matter? You say you will obey Him. You say you will walk under His covenant promises. Does it matter? Yes, it matters. They had the ark. They had the ark, the throne of God, the presence of God, the Word of God. They had it. They had the covenant. Listen, here's the main point today. What they didn't have was faith. They had the presence of God. They had the Word of God, the covenant of God. They didn't have faith. And you know what's funny today? It's not really funny, funny, but it's funny, kinda. And I'm almost hesitant to say it. There are people in this room and watching me online today that if you'd be honest, you're probably not going to say it after I say this, but if you'd be honest, you don't really in the past never really believe that there was a worldwide flood. And you today really don't believe that God created the heavens and the earth in six days. And yet you say you believe in Jesus. Then what Jesus do you believe in? Did you fabricate Him from somewhere, something? You see, the reason I make such a big deal about that is the Bible clearly says that when Jesus returns, and He's going to return maybe soon. His name, his title is the Word of God. He is the covenant. He is the covenant. He is the ark of our salvation. He's it. He's it. You understand? He's it. And when he comes upon the scene, he calls it a new covenant. You've got a copy. It's called the New Covenant. It's called the New Testament. And he revealed it in this way It is the new covenant of my blood. And he offers us his presence. And he offers us his covenant, a new covenant. Hebrews says it's a better covenant than the first one, it's got better promises. We must believe the covenant promises of God by placing our faith and trust in Jesus. That's the only way anybody's going to get into the promised land. Now, I'm going to tell you, that's going to wrap it up for part one. But I'm laying the fountain. Listen, you do not want to miss part two and part three, because it gets way better, way better. There are better promises. Hebrews says there's so much better, the new covenant, so much better promises than the old So I'm going to close this session with a question to the church, which is why the Lord has impressed this series upon me. What should we, the church, today be learning about this event of the Ark of the Covenant session one? What should you and I be learning today? The Word of God is powerful, and it's sharper than any two-edged sword, and it's rightly dividing joint and marrow, separating truth from lies. What should we—what are you learning? What are you seeing? What's the Holy Spirit revealing today? And I'm going to ask you a personal question. Do you have a copy of the covenant promises of God? Do you know how important this covenant is? Do you have a copy? The old one, you got a copy of the new one? Do you read it? Do you believe it? Oh, it doesn't matter now. Does it matter? Listen, reading it is not called faith. Reading this book is not called faith. Today I tell you the reason the new covenant is better than the old is you don't have to build the ark. Jesus built it. He built your way of escape. He offers you His presence. He offers you His Word. He offers you Himself. You will not escape judgment that's coming apart from Him. And listen, reading it is not called faith. You will need to get on board. He built it, this ark. But you will need to get on board with what was written. And you will need, church, you will need to hang on to the ark of our salvation, Jesus, while you're in the wilderness outside the promised land. Because it's going to get rough. Hebrews 4 1. And I'm just going to say, please listen to this. God's promise of entering his rest, this is New Testament. New covenant. This is new covenant. This is new covenant. If you're waiting for another one, there's not another one. God's promise of entering His rest still stands. Somebody say hallelujah. That means the door's open. God's promise of entering His rest still stands. So we ought to tremble with fear that some of you might fail to experience it. You ought to be afraid. For the good news, this good news, here's the new covenant, that God has prepared this rest, has been announced. This is the promised land, right? God has prepared this. Now, it's been announced to us, church age, just as it was announced to them, Moses and the children of Israel. It's been announced to us in the church age, just as it was announced in the Old Testament to Moses. But it did them no good because they didn't share the faith of those who listened to God. For only we who believe. Will enter his rest. As for the others. I think of those 601,728. As for the others. I, in my anger. God said. In my anger I took an oath. They will never enter my place of rest even though this rest has already been has been ready since the he made the world we know it is ready because of the place in the scriptures where it mentions in the seventh day on the seventh day god rested from all of his work but in other passages god said they will never enter my place of rest so god's rest is there for people to enter somebody say hallelujah again (laughs) this door's open but those who first heard this good news failed to enter. Because they disobeyed God. So God set another time for entering his rest. Oh, oh, Lord, thank you for your mercy. So God set another time for entering his rest. And that time is when? Say it out loud. Today. Today. Say it out loud. Today. 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 And God announced this through David much later in the words already quoted. Today, when you hear His voice, do not. Today, when you hear His voice, do not. Do not. Whatever you do. Today, when you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. Don't you do it. In the days of Noah, eight people were saved. In the days of Moses, two men out of 601,730 made it. But today, everyone goes to heaven, right? In the church age, everybody goes to heaven. The blood of Christ covers everyone. Everybody's going to promised land, right? Wrong. It's just not true. The new covenant, the new testament, never says that. Never. Faith. Faith hasn't changed from the time of Noah Read Hebrews chapter 11. Faith hasn't changed from the time of Moses. Read Hebrews chapter 11. Faith has not changed. It is to be sure and certain. Sure and certain that every promise he ever made in his covenant is yours in Jesus Christ. Jesus told us his coming will be like it was in the days of Noah. The Hebrew writer, what I just read, was referring to Moses when he said, how many didn't make it? So I'm going to let Jesus finish up today. And I'm going to let him finish up today with this. How many people are going to make it to the Promised Land? Luke 13, 23. Someone asked him, they're asking Jesus, Lord, will only a few be saved? Is that an incredible question or what? Lord? Are only a few going to be saved? And Jesus replied, work hard. Work hard to enter the narrow door to God's kingdom. For many will try to enter, but they will fail. And when the master of the house has locked the door, it'll be too late. You'll stand outside knocking and pleading, Lord, open the door for us. And he will reply, I don't know you. Or where you come from, they will say, but we ate and drank with you, and you taught in our streets. And he will reply, I tell you, I don't know you, or where you come from, get away from me, all you who do evil, get away from me. Why does it say work hard? It's not about your works of salvation. That's not it. Work hard to enter the narrow door. It's a narrow door. Why does he say work hard? Because faith is hard. Do you understand? Faith is hard. The whole world is going one way and we're turning and going the other way. Faith is hard. You know what else is hard? Repentance is hard repentance when you face God you turn from your self-centered life and you face God and you admit your your failures you admit your your sin the secret things about yourself as if he doesn't know faith is hard repentance is hard dying to yourself denying yourself it's hard but it's the only way you're going to find life it's the new covenant You want to meet my disciple, you got to deny yourself, you got to take up a cross. That's hard, it's hard, it's hard, it's hard. It's not impossible, it's very possible. Because he comes. When you turn to him, he comes. He comes. He's the new covenant, he comes. So I might ask you do you have a copy of the new covenant? The old covenant? Reading, it's not called faith. But I tell you today, the good news is you don't have to build an ark. Jesus built this one. But you will need to get on board. And you will need to hang on in the time of testing in this wilderness. And just like in the days of Noah, I'm telling you today, it's going to rain again. And it won't be rain like Noah's rain. But the reign of Noah's time was the judgment of God was coming upon the earth, and it's going to come again. So, people have been sending me messages this week about the Asbury situation, what's going on. Our staff went over there last Monday and worshiped with them, and it was a powerful time. I just stood there and sang songs and cried. And what I cried about is, Lord, would you awaken your bride? Would you awaken your people? Would you send your holy fire, not just to, to Wilmore, but across the land? Would you awaken your people? I'll ask Chad to come on out for the invitation. So, some, a bunch of people have sent me messages this week asking, is it real? What do you think? What? And then some people said, and I, don't take this wrong, but some people say, what's Nineveh going to do? As if somehow or another I'm supposed to replicate what's going on at, and I, here's my answer. Listen, what's the name we're going to do? We're going to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what we're going to do. We're going to preach about this new covenant that is the blood of Christ. We're going to preach this new covenant because it, it saves people from the coming judgment. That's what we're going to do. And listen. When people ask me, is it real? What's going on in Asbury? I want to tell you what really to me will determine this is, is there genuine repentance? Without repentance, it's just people getting together singing songs. Repentance is when you, when you recognize that I've been walking away from God, and I turn and I face God. I face the truth of His covenant promises. I face Him. I face the reality of my situation, that without Him, I'm a dead man walking. And understand this, church, listen. The very first sermon Jesus preached in the Bible recorded is this, repent for the kingdom of heaven's at hand. It's a sermon that's never changed. Repent. Turn, face God, and He will come in His mercy, His sin. His mercy will cover your sin. So we're going to do something. We're going to sing a song. It's an invitation song. There are people in here that need to come, and you need to repent. You need to come to some altar. You need to repent. Today is the day of salvation. Today, when you hear His voice, do not harden your heart against Him. Do not. When's the last day? When's it going to start to rain? I don't know. What's happening in Asbury? Is it before he brings his judgment, he always sends his word. Before he brings his judgment, he always sends his word. He always sends his word. One last call. I don't know what that is. I don't know. I'm not saying that that's what it is. I'm saying today's the day of salvation. If you hear his voice, do not harden your heart as they did in the rebellion. Don't do it.